your camera uh, seems to be, um, how to say it, quite uh, bland or fuzzy or. Uh, uh, is that any? Better. Okay, I'll just leave that's, the light off. That's much better. Okay. So, um, good to see you again, Clinton. It's been a while. Yeah, uh, good to see you too. I uh, understand that you have a couple of questions using the word rest and um, uh, relaxation. And we can talk about those kinds of things uh, to be the same. Uh, the way that I uh, talk about it, about uh, safety and security versus fear, um, is that fear is an unsatisfying feeling. Mm -hmm. And rest or safety is a satisfying feeling. Yeah. Okay, so when we're looking at the kind of feelings that are satisfying and the kind of feelings that are not satisfying, we begin to uh, say, okay, that means that we can make choices about doing things in a way that bring about a state of feeling that is satisfying as opposed to doing things that bring about a state or a feeling that is unsatisfying. Mm -hmm. That seems to be quite elementary, and yet most people don't have a clue about it. And they don't because of several things. And one of them is, is that uh, a lot of times people are not even aware that they are in a slight state of anxiety or fear. And because they don't know it, they continue to operate within that context ignorantly. Mm -hmm. So just to make sure I'm on the same page. So do things that do things that like lead to uh, relaxation, do things that are satisfying, and that'll lead to relaxation. Is that kind of is that what you're saying? And yes. so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's it is simple, but yeah. It's, it's so easier to notice yet. the fear. Mm -hmm. So uh, in this regard, we can talk about it in the old psychological terms of unconscious, subconscious, and conscious. Mm. Okay. Unconscious means asleep or dead. Mm -hmm. Unconscious. Uh, knocked out. Pistol whipped. Uh, uh, drugged up, something like that, so that the person is completely out of it. And then there is the normal state of living, which we would call subconscious or semi-conscious. And this is the state that most people live in most of the time, to where a whole lot of stuff is happening, but they're only aware of a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. And then as we progress in the Dhamma, is actually uh, a beginning of a wake-up call to come out of the subconscious state into fully awake, fully conscious. Mm -hmm. At this level, that means that the person uh, who is awake and conscious, then his feelings are no longer subconscious. He's aware of how he feels. Most people are not aware of how they feel. It's very strange that people can be in a bar fight 
and and somebody goes and breaks up the fight and says, stop being so angry. And both the people in the fight will say, I'm not angry. <laughs> yeah. Because they're not even aware of how they feel. They're not really lying. They're just being uh, subconsciously dishonest with themselves. Yeah. Okay. This is basically how we live our lives is going around being um, motivated by feelings and whatnot that are subconscious so that we have behaviors that are what is called on automatic pilot. Mm-hmm. In other words, the, uh, the, the pilot, the one who's awake, is not really paying attention to what the aircraft is doing because it's on automatic pilot. Okay, that's the semi-conscious state that most people live in. And uh, that means that we will have uh, thoughts that are in that pattern of thinking, our habit patterns of thinking, will have thoughts that continuously bring up the feelings of fear. In other words, if you have the thought pattern about a particular job or work to be done. Let's say that you've got a job, you're employed someplace, and that tonight you come home knowing that you've got a big day tomorrow. They say big days (laughs) uh, where there's a lot of work to do. By thinking about that work that's to be done while we're not doing it in the present moment does create anxiety. It creates fear. And it creates it subconsciously so that we don't know that we're in a state of fear. But let's face it, the reality of if it is, is that if there were absolutely no fear at all, then there would be no reason to have thoughts about tomorrow. The fact is, is that it's a big day tomorrow and I've got work to do means that now I have created a situation in my mind of danger. I've got work to do. I've got to go do it. If I don't do the work tomorrow, then it's really going to be dangerous. So thinking about work, uh, thinking about, well, like, yeah, after work, thinking about all the deadlines that are coming up the next day or like about conversations that didn't go well. Like these are, it's almost like that, like when, in a, when you, if you're ruminating, like you're just constantly replaying over and over. Or so you're kind of saying that like in those moments, we're kind of, we're not conscious of the actual feelings. We're just kind of, our subconscious is on autopilot and kind of just like uh-huh. moving And over we're not things. even conscious and we're not really conscious of even the thoughts that we have, that we're just ruminating and the mind just rolls on in this sort of semi-conscious state. This is actually what sati means the sati part is to wake up to be fully in the present moment so that every thought that is there you know that thought is there Mm -hmm. and you know the effect that that thought will have and that you know that you can change those thoughts okay okay this is the the uh the thing then that the students need to begin to see how the thoughts that we have throughout the days and the evenings keep us in a state of anxiety. Mm -hmm. But if we had a different kind of thought pattern, then the thoughts would be more relaxing. 
In other words, if you have thoughts about um, all the work that needs to be done, then the underlying motivation is, is that if that work doesn't get done, something bad will happen. Mm -hmm. So something dangerous will happen. There's the fear component. Mm -hmm. However, if the thoughts that you're having are thoughts of, wow, I've done such a good job here so far. I'm sure that I can take care of tomorrow. Everything's going to be all right tomorrow. Everything's going to be fine. I can sit here and just enjoy this moment. And now I can begin to look at how I feel. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what we've actually done now <clears throat> is wake, wake up to see that thoughts of tomorrow are putting me in a state of anxiety right now. Mm -hmm. But if I have stop having thoughts about tomorrow and start having thoughts about how nice things are right now, then I'll begin to feel nice right now. Yeah. Okay. That's the teaching. Now there are, um, uh, let us say that there is a phrase that has um, uh, come out of Christianity uh, that many people will will jump on. And that is this, the phrase Jesus says is take no thought of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're actually teaching. It's not that we don't take any thoughts of tomorrow. And maybe that's just the um, the way that it was translated. But when Jesus says, take no thoughts of tomorrow, the atheist will jump on that and say, well, wait a minute. If we have no thoughts of tomorrow, we can't even build a civilization. We can't build a house. Yeah. We can't even buy a car. Mm -hmm. Okay. If we take no thoughts about tomorrow, we can't do anything. And so that's not exactly what we're talking about here. It's not that we can't take any thoughts about tomorrow at all. It's that generally uh, the thought that we need to have of tomorrow would be like a split second <clears throat> all day today. And all I have to have is just one or two thoughts about tomorrow, and that's all it takes. Mm -hmm. The problem is when we start ruminating about tomorrow or ruminating about a job that's to be done or ruminating about an email that has to be answered or things like this. It's that rumination then or the continuing thoughts, each little thought about it in this rumination, ruminate, 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 ruminate. And each one of those thoughts of rumination is in that automatic pilot system that we're not fully aware of. And each one of them kind of puts a drop of adrenaline into the system. Yeah. Just a tiny little bit. So that here we are sitting at home and getting agitated and we don't know why mm -hmm. without recognizing that, well, we talked ourselves into agitation. Why? Yeah. You can feel the buildup, like it just going, going like, like work yourself mm -hmm. into a frenzy. We can like work ourselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we do this without even knowing it. That's why we put it in the level of subconscious. And most of us live our lives in subconscious. Henry David Throw had the uh, expression, uh, men leave living lives of quiet desperation. Mm. 
Okay, why would someone live a life of quiet desperation? Mm, why are they? Because they're, I mean, like, I guess they're acting out of fear at some level. They're like, uh, but they're scared. not doing anything about it. It's quiet. Uh, yeah, maybe because they don't know what to do. I mean, yeah. Well, they don't even know that there's a problem sometimes. They're living their desperation so quietly that they're not even fully aware. If you were completely fully aware that you were really desperate about something, you'd do something about it. Yeah. All right. But Thoreau's talking about us living lives of quiet desperation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's always like, oh, like, you know, if I... Mm. Yeah, the quiet part's tricky. Like, part of it feels like there's a societal expectation to, you know, not uh, to just like kind of bear the burden and figure it out. Okay. Except that this one thing, these societal expectations that you just mentioned, there is no society in the room with you right there. Yeah. Giving you expectations. Yeah. Those societal expectations that you have you have heard those in the past and storing them mm -hmm. and are putting them as part of the rumination cycle. <laughs> yeah, they're part of that cycle. Like it's the ingrained like programming or. Mm -hmm. As part of the programming that keeps that rumination going and that underlying all of that, uh, you could use, you could say that there's the word should. Begin Good. to listen to the word should. You should Good. do this. You should do that. You ought to do this. This has to be done. That those kind of words and that kind of language is what Eric Byrne calls parental language. It's the language that we picked up as kids from the adults around us, most specifically our teachers and our family and our parents. Mm. Okay. And we build that set up as a, um, a guidance or a set of um, maps about how we should live. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, NLP, you know, linguistic programming, neuro-linguistic program, Bandler and Grinder, they had a very famous statement to wake up. And that is, their statement is, the map is not the territory. Mm -hmm. Okay, what that means then is, is that this subconscious living that people do is because they're living in their maps, they're living in their shoulds, they're living in their ought tos, they're living in a structure rather than living in reality. Yeah, yeah, okay. you're living in like the mind's idea of like what's around you as opposed to like what's physically going on. Okay. So you can have an argument with someone and then forget all about it. And you see that person later. And the first thing you have as a thought was that argument that you had with them. Mm -hmm. And that colors your relationship with them now. They may have forgotten all about that argument. And so they're not going to relate to you the way that you're relating to them. Because mm. you're living in the past. You're living in a subconscious world, but they've woken up out of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you can see how that kind of thing operates also is that we actually deal with people in the present moment 
as if we were dealing with them in the past. Yeah, definitely. So that's another part of that then automatic programming that keeps us in a semi-conscious state. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that semi-conscious state is also agitated. Mm -hmm. And here is actually the mechanism that if you if you pay close attention to it, you can see this happening within your own mind, that basically there is a dialogue, but the dialogue is between two different parts of the mind that speak in two different languages. Okay, so there is the parent ego state, which Freud calls the superego, and Byrne calls the uh, the the parent ego state, and Buddha calls it the sila bhata paramasa. All right, what it is is it's our is all of our stored rules, rites, rituals, laws, ways of doing things, and we can pick it up by the handle of all the shoulds. Yeah, all the way that things ought to be. That is actually spoken in the language, verbal language that we use, like English. Like so the if thought, I'm talking to myself should, in the head, right, or like I should do blah, blah, blah. Yourself when, when you're in the head, when you're talking to yourself, when you're in your head, this is the rumination, by the way, also. Yeah. Is the rumination is basically the rule, you should do this, you should go do that. You should write that email. This needs to be done. Should do this, should do that, should do this, should do that. Now, who is that language uh, or that super ego parent ego state talking to? The answer is, is that it's talking to the more natural, deeper part of us, which we could identify with the reptilian brain, but the psychologist and Eric Byrne uh, mentions as the child ego state. And the child's ego state or the reptilian brain, its language is the language of feelings. Okay, yeah. And it expresses itself with feelings. And like, so, and that's going to be like the more simple, like this, it's going to have the more simple language of feelings, like you're saying, and that's going to be like good, bad, or like, I don't know. Mm hmm. Exactly. But they manifest themselves in the emotions that we can say that there's this group and there's this group and there's not a lot of um, emotions there. Fear, anger, sadness, grief, despair, confusion, not very mm -hmm. many. OK, on the other side, we have safety, security, contentment, satisfaction, um, success. So if we have these patterns of thinking success, like I'm safe, like these things are what's going to like make that reptilian brain part of us like happy. Like these are the rather than feeling like that despair, like rather than like the negative feelings. Yes. OK. And so if we have th uh, thoughts that are critical, then the critical thoughts that we have are thoughts about, I like this, I don't like that, this is good, this is bad, this needs to be done, you got to stop doing that. These kind of thoughts then will keep the reptilian part of the brain or the child ego state in that state of um, agitation, work to do, despair, and the response then from the, uh, the, that state 
is a feeling that indicates or the message that's given is I don't want to do it. Mm. Okay. You got to go to work. You're you're waking up in the morning in in bed and you haven't gotten out of bed yet. And the thought comes, I don't want to work. I got to go to work is the thought. And then the feeling behind that or the next feeling uh, that is almost a thought, but pre-verbal is I don't want to. I don't want to go. It's like, oh, is kind of the sound that comes out if there is a sound like, oh, no, or oh, but it's not very verbal. The verbal part is you've got to go do this. This needs Mm. to be done. Now we get in the habit of giving ourselves marching orders Mm. on a regular basis. This is the rumination or this is the restlessness is this constant habit of giving ourselves marching orders. And then responding to it with, I don't want to. And all of this is happening with inside the un, the semi-conscious mind. Mm-hmm. But if we can wake up to that, when we wake up to it, it's almost like the wake up of, aha, I see you. I see what's going on in the mind. It's almost like a liberation to really wake up, to recognize that we have been talking ourselves into feeling bad all of these years, doing it in a habit, not really looking at what's going on and doing it semi-consciously. So like I, when you wake up from, I don't know, this subconscious state to like actually feeling your emotions, like it shouldn't be a huge surprise if you notice that like, hey, I don't feel good or like I feel anxious right now. like. You know, mm-hmm. there's that tightness in my chest or like, I don't know, tightness in my forehead or something like that. Like, it shouldn't be a surprise. Like, is that reasonable? What, like, you shouldn't Most just feel people great. don't even know that. They know what anxiety is. They know what it feels like, but they're not generally aware of how much anxiety there is until they start practicing something like uh, noting method or choiceless awareness or uh, anything that has to do with breathing and bodily awareness. And people become then sometimes acutely aware of the anxiety that they're carrying. Yeah. But they are only aware of the newly aware of the old anxiety that's been there all along. But when they see it, they begin to see that all this is new. I see it new. Therefore, it is new. Mm -hmm. That's why it's generally a good uh, question to ask the students. Is this really new stuff that you're talking about or is this old stuff? And they'll sit and they'll reflect thinking about it and say, you know, that stuff's been there for a long time and I haven't really been paying any attention to it. But now I'm seeing it. Now that I see it, now I'm waking up to it. Now I'm becoming fully conscious about it. Now I'm putting it as a new should. You should not feel that way. <laughs> yeah. So like you notice those things and then you part of you just wants to say, I don't want to feel that way. Uh, mm-hmm. And like, I guess personally, like I can recoil away. From, like, I don't know if I notice something like, oh, like that's a bad feeling. And just like go back to being like in that subconscious just kind of. Uh-huh. And so now the student is sitting there telling themselves you should not feel anxious. Yeah. And the uh, uh, you like this, you should not feel anxious. (laughs) And the child is inside giving the response to that. And their response is anxiety, Mm -hmm. more anxiety. (laughs) Like you're doing something wrong. (laughs) Right. You're doing something wrong. You're feeling anxious. (laughs) 
And so we actually turn on the sprocket to where now it's not drip, 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 now it's drip, 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 drip. <laughs> and we start feeling more and more and more anxiety because we, we are still operating in that critical parent ego state trying to figure out what's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. This is key. The Buddha talks about this in the sense of wholesome versus unwholesome thinking, but many people don't quite understand what he's talking about. But there is something uh, in psychology that, uh, let us say, it's puts some new light on something that the Buddha had been talking about all along, mm-hmm. but that we didn't quite understand. But when we understand it this way, that when a new baby is born, there are uh, a set of chemicals that are released in the brain of the mother uh, that we would call bonding chemicals. There, there is a bonding process. And that women, I've heard recently now from uh, lectures that I'm he- listening to in, in Stanford on behavioral uh, biology, is, is that mothers actually bond with their baby boys slightly differently than they bond with their baby girls. Mm -hmm. That means that at a very, very first stage, either in the womb or at birth, there are uh, distinctions between nurturing and um, nature and nurture is the issue that I'm talking about here in the sense of is it only in your genes or are your genes actually operated by, turned on and off by the environment? Mm-hmm. And this is what they're finding out is, is that genes are not just genes that you're born with and there you are. But rather that the environment that you're in turns certain genes on and certain genes off, depending upon the circumstances and that this continues to happen through childhood. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as the child grows and matures, certain events will happen that cause the DNA to start to change and modify. So that boys will be raised as boys, girls will be raised as girls, and all of this kind of other stuff happens at the at the instant of birth or even before. Mm-hmm. That boys are not boys because they're three or four years old and find out they've got a penis. That's not how it works. It comes from the mom and the way that mom nurtures her baby when mm-hmm. he's first born. Okay, as that firstborn now in that bonding process with the mother, the mother is not at all ever critical of that baby. That newborn child is nurture, 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 nurture. She changes diapers, she bedspeeds it. When the baby cries, she takes care of it. And everything is hunky-dory with that baby, and she'll give it a good life up to a certain point. Hmm. And then that certain point is, is when mom gets, um, uh, let us say, sidetracked from her job of nurturing into the job of training the child in the way he should go. Mm -hmm. In other words, the mother herself and the the parents around this child add a new ingredient to the environment the child has been in, which has been a nurturing environment up to the age of three to five. Sure, they start start preparing them for like the world that they've lived in or like passing along like the survival skills. 
Okay, that's exactly the way that mom and dad will think about it to give themselves permission to beat the hell out of that poor child, mm -hmm. to stop nurturing him and start becoming critical of that child. Mm -hmm. Do your homework, learn your ABCs, do the one, two, threes. No, two plus two equals four, damn it. You know, mm -hmm. that kind of mentality. So we become critical of our children and that that turns on more different DNA kinds of things so that the child now, now is no longer in a completely nurturing environment. Now he is being converted out of the nurturing environment into a critical environment and the child learns how to have critical thoughts for himself. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the problem. This is the issue with humanity is, is that the parents become critical of their children. And so they're kind of distilling that fear at a very like, early and we, age. And we, just, and we instill that criticism and that fear at a very, very early age. Hmm. Even little kids are spanked hmm. in some societies. Okay. Now, here's something really interesting about that is, is that the child himself knows that something has changed. When the baby is very, very young, he's being completely taken care of that even when he does a poopy, his first poopy, a big one after two or three days and the whole family is very happy that the child has done a poopy. But if that child is 16 years old and does that poopy on the floor in the front room, he's not going to get the same nurturing that he got when he did his first poopy. Now, is he? Yeah. No, he's going to be heavily criticized instead. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we change that uh, the nurturing into criticism and then the child starts to become critical of himself, lest he be, be criticized by the outside world. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is actually instinctual behavior on the part of the child. This instinct is called the nesting instinct, and it basically means to go along, to get along, do what you're told to do so that you can remain in the group. Sure, yeah. You do not want to be ostracized from the group, so you got to go along to get along and do what you're told to do, even if you don't see any benefit or reward from doing what you're doing, at least you're preventing being ostracized. Yeah. Okay, so this is how we grow up. Trying to avoid pain at all cost. Mm -hmm. Now that's different than the time of the Buddha. I think that there's been a major change in the way that we raise our children. In the sense that in the time of the Buddha, the kids were kind of just not educated and just left to go play as they pleased. Mm -hmm which meant that those kind of children then wind up being uh, motivated purely by sensual pleasures. Yeah. And the Buddha talks about that. In fact, there are several sutras. When I was reading that sutras, I'm saying, hey, wait a minute, Buddha, you're missing half the story here. And I think that the reason for that was because the second half of the story came in later generations, much later generations. Just like, yeah, as the way things have changed and like, you know, right. kids are much it, more uh, like, focused on and raised a certain way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes and sense. And you could call that change public education mm. as opposed to general education. Mm -hmm. But public education, when you bring a whole bunch of kids together, sent them down and tell them you should do this. 
Hmm. Okay, that didn't happen much in the time of the Buddha. That kids were allowed to play what they wanted to play with and learn what they wanted to learn. And because they were around daddy and, and played with what daddy was playing with, they picked up the skills of the profession that dad did. This is called journal, journey, journeyism <clears throat> or journey workers or apprentices. And that yeah. is all as uh, is, is generally been nepotitic. So those what does that kind mean? of people, uh, a nepotism. Nepotitic. Oh, sorry. So yeah, you teach your child and it's like a family right. job. It's yeah. a family business. They still have that quite much in Thailand. That the mm -hmm. family business, people join the family business. They don't do that so much in the West um, because of uh, the critical thinking mentality that Westerners have. Mm -hmm. So this critical thinking or this critical mentality has been known all along that in fact this is the entire story of the story of adam and eve mm. that adam and eve ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil the knowledge of good and evil means critical thinking yeah they looked at the rules and decided to break them they're like mm, well, i know better they, no it's not the breaking of the rules it's the making of the rules Okay, yeah, so they're kind of, what do you mean there? Well, the breaking of the rules is something that someone does out of rebellion or neglect or something like that. The making of the rules is the building up of the shoulds. Mm. It's the making mm. of the map. It's the building of the map. Mm. Okay, and the map then, uh, whether the map is followed or not, is not the point. We're talking about how the maps are made. This is the uh, the, the buildup or the making of the rules. Hmm. Because in fact, nurturing basically goes along with the issue that there are really no rules. That everything is actually kind of okay the way that it is. And then people will say, well, wait a minute. The way that things are, I don't like it because it doesn't fit my set of rules. Yeah. Okay, there you go. That person has just looked at paradise and criticized it, and by criticizing paradise, he's destroyed it. Adam and Eve destroyed their own paradise through judgments, through mm -hmm. critical thinking. If they had just been naturally living, um, in a nurturing world, in a nurturing environment, then they would have remained living in paradise. Hmm. Now, this is not the story of Adam and Eve, per se. This is the story of every child. Yeah, I guess I was trying to connect the dots. So um, we, we have a newborn child and um, Oh, yeah, like back in the Buddha's day, it was fine to just let the kids pretty much do whatever they want. Um, and this led to one set of challenges. And now, like, we have a much more developed society or, like, more complicated society, I guess, would probably be a better way of putting it. And then um, so we've over, like, I don't know, over, like, hundreds of years, thousands of years, we've tacked on, like, um, I don't know, shared learnings. And we pass those on to our children. And those aren't always good. or Those are not nurturing. They're more like teaching or like um right forget the and word almost saying. all of that knowledge is passed on in, in a sense of the way things should be and it's how things ought to be is part of it because our minds 
it's part of the because we're just trying to meet our basic needs like i don't know like food water shelter like in our parents like minds they think this is the best way to do it like they're kind of preparing us for that or like um it, i mean like yeah we get these like ideas that like oh i need to go to school and do well but like it seems like kind of at the base level is just kind of like to meet these basic things that we need and it just gets really complicated and like removed from that mm -hmm. i don't know um yes that's exactly correct and what you said before was absolutely right the parents as they've grown up not being nurtured but in critical they think critically in the sense oh this child has to learn a profession in order for him to eat i'm not going to pay for that child to eat for the rest of his life mm -hmm. okay i want him in fact to learn a good profession so that he can now take care of me yeah, even like I won't be around forever. Like they need to be able to feed themselves. Like they have to right. get these skills. And so, uh, and so there's this basic reality in there. The basic reality is that uh, you, if you don't breathe, you don't live. If you don't eat, you don't live. Or if you are com in complete isolation so that you have no contact with the outside world, I mean, this is what punishment is with you. They at least let the prisoners out an hour a day mm -hmm. to, just to keep them alive. If you put somebody in solitary confinement 100% of the time, he's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to die without yeah, any yeah. contact at all. Okay, so this is how it works is that there are a certain amount of basic inputs that we have to have. Yeah. And if we don't, the the brain the body will atrophy and die okay well, what, i mean there's like a little bit of a sidetrack but i guess like there's weird people in alaska seem to live really well by themselves i guess like it seems like a lot of monks tend to live in a lot of isolation i guess maybe like my idea of like these people maybe there is like kind of like interaction if he, if he, ha if he has a, if he has a strong mind and in fact he is not while he's living up in the north of alaska he is not in fact confined in a cabin if he stayed in the cabin in in uh, uh alaska and only stayed in that cabin because he was snowbound or something like that he would probably catch what is commonly called cabin fever yeah i mean okay the fact is is that he can in fact leave his cabin put his snowshoes on go out tracking mm -hmm. and have a life <clears throat> yeah like so, provide for themselves like have a sense of like have a strong so sense he of is in contact we're talking about somebody who is uh forcibly put into a prison yeah, isolation like they have no choice over and they've got no contact at all no windows uh nothing to drive with no any way of contacting the world at all the mind will atrophy and die yeah, that's torture yeah okay so this is what we're getting at is is that we do have to have these contacts and that the thought then of the subconscious mind is is that if i don't have these needs met then it's dangerous and i'll be filled with fear mm -hmm. okay why did why would why would i decide to get afraid just because i have a thought that i've got to go get a job or something like that the answer is i was trained that way as a child Mm -hmm. that children can be trained without fear, but I don't know how to do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we grow up with this fear. 
the fear of the unknown is mostly what it's about because the fear of the unknown means that that unknown thing might be dangerous. If I know what it is, then I'll know it's safe. But if I don't know what it is, it might be dangerous. (laughs) Well, there's a whole lot of unknowns out there, which means there's a whole lot of dangerous things to the person who thinks that way. Yeah, and and so like if you're not awake, you know, your mind's going to recall and it's going to ruminate on all of those possible dangers that are out there someplace. But the wake up is to wake up and be here right now and recognize right here, right now, none of those dangers exist. Mm -hmm. In this present moment, there are no dangers. So if they're in this present moment, there are no dangers. Why is it that most people have still this fear? Mm-hmm. Because the fear has to do with the, the past and the future. They have yeah. felt fear in the past, and because out of habit, they feel fear now. And also, they give themselves fear because of their planning of the future based upon the past. But right now is okay. If we would let us be here now, okay. Mm-hmm. But instead, the person is sitting here now thinking thoughts, ruminating thoughts that are not okay, and he's working himself up to in this state of agitation, not even knowing it. And so is is part of that reason that we can work ourselves up about these things, kind of like the mind-body connection, and that we can like recall maybe a past trauma or something like that, and then um, that'll like actually have a physical effect on us? Like, I don't know, mm-hmm. like anxiety in my chest is like one of the more noticeable things is like, like I can feel it there and like um or like I'll recall an event and like I'll physically be tighter. Um, uh-huh. Exactly. As as- just one thought, just just one little thought of something that happened in the past. Here's another example of that. You're on the way to an interview or to something important. You're driving your car and you're going someplace and about halfway along the way you realize that you forgot to bring a particularly important document or the cell phone or and you need the cell phone to get into the building or something like that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And as soon as you have that thought, maybe you can look around to make sure that in the car that you don't have it. People will do that. They'll get really crazy driving while they're trying to search through the backseat to figure out did they bring their cell phone or not Mm because they're already in a panic. As mm-hmm. soon as we had the thought of that cell phone, we go into panic mode. Yeah. So now the guy's got to turn his car around, go back home, get the cell phone, and then get back to, to, the, uh, to the office. Only the mentality is, is that I can't be late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so now I'm a danger out on the highway. Because I have anxiety, and all of that anxiety got started by just one thought about that cell phone. But now the mind is ruminating and ruminating, and ruminating and ruminating, yeah. and keeping that anxiety going. Here I am driving that car dangerously. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were talking about uh, driving and how, like, you can, like, there's this feedback loop of, uh, like, I don't know, maybe you of anxiety that you can like kind of whip yourself into uh, work ourselves into it. This is the rumination. And then when we we wake up. Oh, go ahead. So what we could do if we could wake up and recognizing, hey, I'm driving the car ridiculous. Let me first off, take a deep breath. First off, take the gas off. 
take take your foot off the gas. Second thing is to start taking a few deep breaths. And the third thing then would be also to start having conversations where or the language of is that everything is going to be okay, even if I'm late for this appointment. It's better to be late for the appointment than dead on arrival or not mm -hmm. on arrival. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we can actually work on calming ourselves back down in that state. Hopefully, though, the Dhamma dude is going to be able to see that uh, anxiety attack as soon as it comes up. Mm -hmm. That as soon as that anxiety attack happens, it happens with just one thought. Just mm -hmm. one thought bring on an anxiety attack that can have effect for hours and hours. And uh, basically, the reason that it takes so long is because we're not even aware that now this car is not be driven by, um, uh, a, 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 let us say, a functioning human being that knows how to drive, etc. It's been driven by someone who is having an anxiety attack. Mm -hmm. So if we can recognize that, then we can do something about it immediately. So let's talk about this now in the sense of uh, when we're out driving the car, we're not in seclusion at all. We're in a car. We've got danger. There's reality there. Let's talk about it now from the situation that we can actually seclude ourselves from that, get ourselves off into a, a private place, perhaps go to the forest, to the foot of a tree, to an empty hut or a mm. heap of straw. You've heard all of that before. And we sit down in seclusion and then bring sati or mindfulness to the fore. In other words, mm -hmm. we begin to start looking at what's going on. This is the wakey-wakey. And we begin to see then that these thoughts that we're having are unwholesome thoughts. Mm -hmm. This is how we begin to train the mind, is to begin to say, okay, in my anapanasati practice, what we're actually going to do is we're actually going to practice having only wholesome thoughts in the mind and to not have unwholesome thoughts. Mm -hmm. Going back to the issue about the criticism, we're going to start taking critical thoughts out of the mind. Thoughts of you should do that. Oh, you should take your cell phone. Oh, should you should go to that meeting which are almost contradictory in terms. You can't go to the meeting and do the cell phone because the cell phone is back at the house, okay? So um, the, we need to, while we're sitting in meditation, we're not caught in that double bind. We're not in a dilemma. Mm -hmm. This is the reason that we want to get ourselves into seclusion so that we can be free from real dilemmas. That way we can actually see the dilemmas that we're creating in our own mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes okay. sense. Okay, so these dilemmas that we're creating in our own mind are almost always because of critical thinking. Mm -hmm. And we should start having nurturing thoughts to try to train the mind into having nurturing thoughts. So that when we get ourselves out in the car and we've forgotten the cell phone, then we can be awake to the fact that this is an anxiety moment and I can deal with it wisely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, go ahead. So, 
on this spectrum of, I guess, waking up and kind of falling into your subconscious, uh, I guess like that was kind of one thing that I've, I've had trouble with, like when I go and sit down and do like a secluded meditation, um, is that it's kind of easy to withdraw from physical sensation like a little too much and then get wrapped up in my own mind. And then I guess like kind of these loops just kind of, I'm just like sitting there watching the loops go over and over and not really feeling any more relaxed or not feeling any more. Okay. That, that what you're doing right there is what I would call the, uh, the noting method. That's the Mahasi. That's also choiceless awareness. We're going to practice something new now. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to start watching each one of these thoughts and making a, um, a distinction mm. about whether this thought is wholesome or not is the basic question. Is this whole, is this thought wholesome or not? Mm-hmm. If it is not wholesome, then we're going to change it to a wholesome thought. Mm. If it is a wholesome thought already, we can congratulate ourselves for waking up already in a wholesome state. Mm-hmm. That's the way that we can begin to practice, okay? Now, as we practice over time, our uh, the skill of discrimination, or our right view as a skill will improve in the sense that things that used to look like that they were okay, now we're looking at them and seeing that, no, that too is unwholesome. Mm-hmm. And so over time, the the wholesome will will shrink down to a very small amount and the unwholesome will begin to grow. So that yeah. what we used to think was just ordinary thoughts or junk thoughts, we now begin to see that those thoughts are unwholesome, they're junk thoughts, because it would be actually more pleasant to think of something pleasant mm. rather than just junk thoughts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. All right. And so we begin to pay close attention to what our thinking actually is with the understanding that we're going to, in this particular moment, right here, right now, not make a rule for the future, but to change or modify the behavior right here, right now. Mm. What's in the mind right here, right now. Okay, let me give you an example of this. This is actually a a story that the Buddha told that's in Sutta number 19 in the Majjhima Nikaya. And the surprise is the name of this Sutta is two kinds of thought. Mm. What are the two kinds of thoughts? Wholesome versus unwholesome thoughts. Yeah. This is a major point that most meditation practices uh, don't emphasize. They just make a mention of it, and then nobody pays attention to it. And because of that, they let the mind ruminate rather than being on guard for what the mind is actually doing. Mm. And so the story then about how to have wholesome thoughts is about a cow herd that had a few cows. I mean, this is not rawhide with a, with drovers and thousands of head of cattle, but rather uh, an Indian back in the time of the Buddha with just a few cows, maybe 
six, eight, ten, something like that. And he's taking the cows from his pen to the pasture where there is uh, stubble and shaft and all kinds of things for them to eat. Mm-hmm. But along the way, he has to pass through a populated area where pe- there are children playing, there are uh, stalls of food, there are houses and things like that. And while the cow herd is taking these cows through there, he has to make sure that they behave themselves. That the you can't let the uh, the cow step on a child. Yeah. You can't let the cow take uh, a carrot off of the food stall, or run into the food stall, or bang mm-hmm. into or let the cows go into somebody's house. And so the cow herd carries a stick, a staff, and when that cow starts to uh, wander away out of the group, he'll whack that cow to keep it in line. Mm-hmm. Okay, that whacking of the cow is very much like uh, the detection that the cow herd is watching. And when that cow does something out of line, that cow is getting whacked. Mm. Now, we could say, wait a minute, I don't want to go around whacking my mind. Well, the answer to that is, is that, okay, if you don't whack that thought, if you do, in fact, have those thoughts and let them go, that's the same as the cow herd going ahead and eating the carrots on the food stall. And now uh, we are responsible for the fact that the food vendor is all ticked off about it. Yeah. Right. Or if the cow goes into somebody's house and and sits down on their furniture and breaking it, they're going to be really unhappy about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that means then that if we are able to control the cows, we can keep them in line and there's no danger. But if we don't do anything, then the cows are going to be all over town and all the whole town is going to be angry. And the cow herd may, in fact, lose his cows because they've done so much damage. And so is there a stick in this example? Like, would that be like mindfulness at the point of contact? Is that kind of the, the tool that we're going to Sorry. use to keep the cows in line? Step by step, the cow herd is watching those cows. Every cow, every thought. Mm. If that cow steps out of line, we're going to whack it. Mm. But we're going to whack it in a loving way. Yeah, it's like a okay. little. Oh yeah, right. We're going. We're going to give it guidance. We're not going to punish the cow, or you can't even punish the thought. So there's no reason to trying to punish the self, but rather to whack it. Now, the way that the Buddha talked about that in other suttas was when he was think when he was talking about it in the sense of Mara. This is actually a much earlier story where he saws, aha, I see you, Mara, which means that he can see those unwholesome thoughts. That aha, I see you, Mara, is the whack. Mm, yeah. That whacks the cow. And at that point in contact, when that cow is whacked, that's a whole different story than the cow eating the carrot. Mm, yeah. Okay. So basically, we can say it like this inside the human mind that we are ruminating about something and we're going round and round and round and round and round with it. And then we wake up, then sati, then we remember and we pay attention to what's going on and we say, aha, I see you, Mara. That's yeah. just one thought second later. What's happening here is here. In that ruminating thought, I am the thought. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's like that zooming in, like your body, you're like you're embodying like that. Mm-hmm. Like and I am that. And then when we wake up, we're actually separating ourselves from that thought. Aha! I am not that thought. I'm the one who sees that thought. Aha! Mm. Uh-huh, I see you, Myra. Mm. Yeah. This is an important point then for us to be able to actually see what's happening in the mind because the next thought, that whacking thought, is not the same thought as uh, eating carrot thought. Mm-hmm. It's a new thought. Aha, I see you, Myra. It's not the same as this. Something has already changed. Mm-hmm. Before it was this, then wake up and aha, I see you. We withdraw from it, we separate from it, we recognize that is not me, it's just a thought. Most people, in fact, have never done this before, and so we identify with our thoughts in the, in the sense of who I am is the way I think, and who and the way I think is who I am, and what I think is who I am. Mm-hmm. My thinking is me. A lot of people think like that. Other people will think, and in fact, uh, one guy can think this in the morning, this in the afternoon, and this in the evening, in the sense that all day long he thinks, my thought, this is who I am. But when he goes and looks in the mirror, then the image in the mirror is who he identifies with. I am the image in the mirror. Yeah. Okay. And so, and so go ahead. It, with that, aha, uh-huh, like I noticed, like you're probably reading too much into it, but your wrist kind of stopped moving, like kind of that looping that you were kind of talking about, that ruminating, that's mm-hmm. going to stop, like, I guess, like the impact, like that, I guess, like that continuing of like building and like repeating of the same thing kind of pauses. And then you'd notice maybe a relaxation if you are no longer kind of like, if you're no longer fixated on that point. Is mm-hmm. that? Yes. Yeah, so, in the normal situation, then the rumination, rumination, the rumination, all done subconsciously continues on and on and on and on and on. All right, that's one way of living. Now, the new way of living is, is that we, this is happening and we see it. And we say, aha, I see you, Myra, and we yeah. interrupt that. Now we can go off and do something else. And we'll talk about that something else in just a moment. Mm-hmm. But then after a few moments, this starts back again. And it happens for a short time. And then we check it again and say, aha, yeah. I see you, Myra. After we do that a few times, then we have a new kind of thought. There's also a ruminating thought. Oh, no, there it goes again. <laughs> Poor me. I keep catching this stuff and it keeps happening again over and over again. Right. But this is actually wisdom beginning to grow because when it was just doing this, we knew nothing. We Mm. knew nothing. Now we're beginning to see this sequence that's happening over and over again. We wake up and we wake up and we wake up. But once we wake up, the thing to do then is to start to stretch out that other part Mm. that we're going to talk about now. And that is is that um, there's two skills, primary skills to be developed. One of the skills is to do this, to wake up to it. Mm. That's the sati, to wake up. And when we get good at waking up, that means that then this is a new kind of skill to be developed 
that is the skill of getting quickly into a good state. Mm-hmm. Getting a, and so that's what we're going to work on is getting the mind into a good state. And we're going to work on it in the sense of doing it quickly and then allowing it to maintain for a while so that this doesn't come back so easily and so often. We're able to maintain a good state okay. and then this start up again. But whenever it does, we want to be on alert for that when that rumination starts, aha, I can see you and come out of it and then stay out of it for a little while. Yeah, you got to get your legs under you first, like quit mm-hmm. just rolling around. And then right, once you do that, you're already in the habit of doing it like this. This is the habit that we're in. Yeah. Now that we're waking up to that habit, we can keep interrupting it, keep interrupting it, keep interrupting it. And pretty soon, wait a minute, <laughs> we're not going to do that. <laughs> it's like, okay, we can catch our breath. Like, yeah, we can this have is some, how, uh, yeah. okay. So let's go with now the rest of the story about the cows. Once the guy is able to whack these cows and get them in line and get them down the path, he can get them to the grazing area. Once he gets them to the grazing area where everything is wholesome, everything is okay, he doesn't have to stand there with a stick whacking the cows anymore. Mm-hmm. He can actually take a rest now. Just back to the word that we had in the first place, the rest. Yeah. Now that he's got the cows in, in a wholesome state, he can actually not have to just stand there with the cows. He can actually take his staff and go sit under a tree. And kind of just keep an eye on the cows. Yeah, it's going to take less effort. The takes a whole lot less effort now that the cows are all wholesome. They're out of their dangerous territory. Yeah. Okay. So this is what we can do: is talk, is think about it in the sense of one wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought. One wholesome thought after another after another. Mm-hmm. then will help us to maintain and keep this um, uh, pleasant state. It's going. like the gladdening of the mind. That's the gladdening of the mind. That's precisely it. You got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we want to have nurturing thoughts. We want to remember to whack that thing. It says, aha, you don't have to do that. Ha, 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 ha. And have some nurturing thoughts. Everything's going to be okay. Everything is fine. You don't have to ruminate about that job that needs to be done tomorrow because you're not going to do that job right now. So why think about it now? Mm. This is the new mentality. The new mentality is, is that right now it's not broken. So right now I should not be fixing it. Mm. Yeah. And yet look at most of us. They spend all of our time trying to fix problems mentally. We Mm -hmm. go around looking for problems to solve, and then we solve them mentally. And while we're doing that, we're keeping ourselves uptight and anxious the whole time. We're being critical. We're thinking critically. We're not only thinking about the world critically, we think about ourselves critically. Yeah, we're ignoring. Yeah, and like in that process, we're ignoring how we're feeling. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you'll maybe there's like a shadow of a anxiety like down your back or something like that, but it wouldn't be. Yeah, you're just like not super aware of it. Uh, But yeah, if we're able to wake up, we can take care of ourselves, uh, relax, get that rest we need. 
So basically now you have heard that Anicca is a major teaching of the Buddha, part of the Trilokana. Anicca dukkha anatta, Anicca mm. this, Anicca that, everything is constantly changing and in flux and turmoil. Mm. We can use that to our advantage here. Oh, because see, if we're doing this and doing this and doing this and doing this and doing this, then there's not much of Anicca. Yeah, there's some Anicca in there, but it's not a big change. This is a big change. Aha, I see you. Mm. Okay. So we want to start looking for those kind of changes to change the mind from being in its normal state into being in a state of gladdening, into the state of, aha, I see you. And this okay. is the new pattern that we're wanting to generate. We're beginning to see that new. Here's one of the things that I would say that what I'm about to say is the most important teaching of the Buddha. The most important teaching in the sense that it's the first step along the path. And what is that? And that is, is that most people get the idea from religions and from society and from their parents and everything else that once you grow up, you can't change. Mm. And the entire teaching of the Buddha is, yes, you can change. Yes, you can. This is actually the major teaching then between reincarnation and uh, the teaching of the Buddha, because the teaching of reincarnation is teaching that you are bound by your karma, you are subject to your karma, you are heir to your karma. Once that deed has been done in the deep, dark past, you've got no choice about it. Yeah. Yeah, That's it's like set in stone. Reincarnation, okay? And it's got some mollifications to go along with it. What are the mollifications? Oh, well, if you know the big dude like I know the big dude, the big dude will forgive you. Yeah. Forgiveness. That's one of the mollifications. Another mollification is I can get away with it. Mm. I won't get caught. Right? But the mollification of getting uh, away with it or uh, getting forgiveness from it seems to be the only options that we have. That we are never really taught that, hey, man, you can actually be free from that. Your choice. Mm -hmm. That's the major teaching of the Buddha. This is the first fetter. This is what is called the fetter of personality view. When you recognize that you are not your personality, you are not who you thought you were. You are not your thoughts. Okay, so uh, my mind blanked as soon as you said something super important. So you're saying that we are not bound by like our past, like we we're not like a bound. We have the choice not to repeat, I guess, mm -hmm. like we're not as opposed to like a okay yeah sorry just making sure i'm on the same page i don't know why i just like you're not there. doomed yeah you are <laughs> not, not doomed, doomed to do like we can change yeah i'm not doomed to do the same thing or whatever yeah yeah there's this is actually a very very big part of human society we have an entire language built around it mm -hmm. destiny free will 
We have uh, providence, predestination. Things mm. are already set up in advance. Mm. What does that mean? That means that people have no choice. Yeah. And a lot of stuff around religion is designed to take our choices away from us. Mm-hmm. Okay, predestination is the entire teaching of, oh, you don't have any choice in this. But if you go to the right priest and pay the right amount of money, he can mollify the problem for you, but you cannot get rid of All right, so we were back talking about the ruminating of the mind and how we have choices. Mm. And yet many people have, we are, we're actually told that, that in fact, uh, clear examples of that is, is that people will continue to vote for the same political party that they had when they were young people, even though they know that that political party is not worth their vote. Hmm. They keep doing it anyway because they don't think that they have a choice. Yeah, that's how they were raised. It was like tradition. And so this is the major teaching of the Buddha. The major teaching of the Buddha is that you've got choices. Not only Hmm. do you have choices, big choices, choices about what university or choices about what job or what girl or what house to buy and all of that kind of stuff. We're talking about the little choices moment by moment, by moment. If you can wake up, you can make a new choice. Mm. If you can make a new, if you can wake up, you can make a new choice. You do not have to keep ruminating the mind. You are not bound to do this. Mm -hmm. You can make a change. You are not your personality. You can modify the entire personality. That in fact, the Buddha talks about this in a great big way when he's talking about the five aggregates, to recognize that this body is just a body, it's not me. These feelings are just feelings, and they're mm-hmm. not bound up as a me, they're completely changeable. Body mm-hmm. not so changeable. The mind, though, is very fluid, and that mind can be changed at any point in time, within a, within a second. Mm-hmm. The mind can be changed. The personality is not set. That our past is not is is not how to say it. The past itself is gone. It's done with. It's over. It's not necessarily just set and permanent the way that it is. In fact, it doesn't even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. It's only our memories of it that exist. So the past does not exist. What exists is our memories of it. And if we don't spend any time ruminating about the past then the past doesn't exist yeah if we don't spend any time ruminating about the future then the future doesn't exist Hmm. the only time that really exists is right now why is it that people spend so much time and effort thinking about the past and the future giving themselves unpleasant unsatisfying feelings well Going back to the past and future thing, is there is there a way to look at the past or like look at your memories and then have a positive look at them? So rather than like, like say one pops up and rather than just like toss it away, could you just have like a positive association with it instead? Or is that like, 
a little too or is the way that you kind of get freedom from your past this more would, is like forgetting what we would call a junk thought in the beginning the right the correct answer would be yes of course mm -hmm. but then later the, the question would be why bother oh okay yeah i mean it wouldn't particularly matter if you don't have it if it's not something that impacts you right now so as you grow and mature in your uh discernment things that used to look okay will then begin to look why bother doing that mm. this is how we do it okay so we need then to make sure that we have one wholesome thought after another after another this is the way then that we start looking at the mind and that the kind of thoughts that we want to have are going to be the kind of thoughts that are nurturing soothing uh allowing us to feel good and satisfied thoughts of there's no alligators here yeah there's a roof over I, my I, head or, yeah. right i've got a roof over my head i'm not out in the exposure everything is okay and so we start going over the checklist of what's happening right now that means everything is all right everything is fine everything yeah. is okay no work to do no place to go the, uh, the spring comes and the grass grows by itself. Now, this is uh, um, slightly different. Uh, no, it's not slightly. It's a whole lot different than the practice of uh, noting or choiceless awareness or just sitting in Zen. This is an active skin in the game meditation. This is mm -hmm. active. It's active on three fronts. It's active on the front of uh, understanding wrong view is wrong view and changing our view from wrong view to right view. Mm -hmm. In the sense that the wrong view would be you got to get it done. And the right view is why bother? Mm. Everything is OK. Everything is fine. Just keep looking. Everything is all right. The second one of the three is to change not just our attitude or our view rather but also our thoughts our thoughts and our attitude thoughts and attitude and views are interconnected mm -hmm. but the but the view is kind of a broad view to where each thought one at a time is this thought wholesome is this thought wholesome is this thought wholesome is this thought wholesome every one of them one at a time and we have to take the effort to uh bring up the sati we have to take the effort to look with discernment, and we have to take the effort then to change it from an unwholesome thought to a wholesome thought. Mm -hmm. The third one then is also now associated with the breathing, to take the effort to actually take an in-breath that is long, slow, deep, and relaxed. And so we're actually now putting together or making a combination of uh, using the mind and controlling the mind to control the breathing mm. and using the breathing and controlling the breathing to help control the mind and settle the mind down with the mind and the breathing under control and the thoughts under control so that we're having wholesome thoughts we can now literally talk ourselves into feeling good yeah i mean because like the the way we feels like really close to 
the physical sensations that we're experiencing. So if you can control the physical sensations like breath, if you can ever relax breath at will, I mean, that would make sense that that would make you very happy. I don't know, I'm not, yeah, you can't do it, but <laughs> it sounds good. Something right, exactly. Sense. Now you're beginning to understand this this little technique. It's not choiceless awareness in the sense of just watching what our thinking is. We have to make the discernment. Is yeah. this thought wholesome? Yeah, there's two there's two parts. It's like the the first part is like stopping the wheel or like not stopping the wheel, but um being aware of being aware of the thoughts, being aware of your feelings, like, and then being able to discern um, if that's right. Not not just or being aware of them. Being aware of them is the initial sati, mm -hmm. but also right view is to make the discrimination: is is this wholesome or not? And then being able to encourage good wholesome thoughts. And, uh huh. And then the right effort is to change it from an unwholesome thought to a wholesome thought. Mm hmm. Like, aha, I do not have to write that email right now. Yeah. Well, see, right now I'm sitting here. I'm not writing the email. We're not <laughs> talking about sitting there writing the email. We're talking about sitting and thinking about the email. Mm. And I don't have to sit here and think about that email. Mm -hmm. I could sit here and think happy thoughts. That's true. And yeah. One of the happy thoughts is <laughs> I don't have to do that email right now. <sighs> One of the the technique that really helped me uh, that you gave me last time we talked was reflect or being grateful for the seven samajanas. <laughs> I'm probably saying it wrong, but just being like, I'm grateful for my mindfulness. I'm grateful for my investigation. I'm grateful for my sadi, my PD. Grateful for the relaxation. I'm grateful for the invest. Uh, I don't know the safety, uh -huh. right. whatever they. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that was this so nice. Yes. Get yourself into that state. This is so nice that you feel really, really grateful, really happy with the state that you're in. Yeah, that gratitude is really. Yeah, I mean, it, you can you can feel it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, well, yeah. I think that we pretty well covered our our point now. Yeah, the whole idea about that having one wholesome thought after another after another means that now we can rest. Because all we have to do is just make sure that these thoughts are wholesome. We don't have to take the effort to throw unwholesome thoughts out anymore. Because mm -hmm. they're just one wholesome thought after another. Yeah. And that is so relaxing, so uh, um, uh, pleasant. That this is actually what we mean by the sukha. And that sukha then is feeling free from fear. Mm. Having agitation, having work to do gives us fear. Mm -hmm. It might be dangerous if we don't do the work. But having thoughts of everything is OK, there's really no work that needs to be done. And in fact, I have already done enough work that I can feel really good about accomplishing already. Mm. I've already written a bunch of emails. I know I'm really good at writing emails. I can write another one. It's a piece of cake. Yeah, just know that you'll do it tomorrow. Move on. Yeah, and so we give ourselves credit for the fact that we've been able to do stuff. Yeah. And therefore, there's no reason to fear that we can't get it done next time when it's time to do it. Yeah, of course. Like you, and so, yeah. 
we begin to feel good, we think about good thoughts, we recognize sure. almost near. Yeah, so Stop. let's go ahead and finish this up. This this uh, talk is in the four different videos. We can get somebody to put them together. Um, do you know how to do a video editor? I do not. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll get somebody else to do it. Anyway, we were um, just about to finish up anyhow, and that is the uh, the finishing up is to go back and to review uh the eightfold noble path basically the skill of sati the skill of right view the skill of right effort gives us that skill then of right attitude the right mm -hmm. attitude i can do this the right attitude that we were just talking about is hey man i have written emails before i can do it again i got no worries no problems when their time comes i can handle it mm. yeah that's actually the right way to think about an exam. Most kids think about the exam. Oh, I've got to study and they pull an all nighter and they work and they study and always. Ooh, it worked again. <laughs> okay. Yes, it Perfect. came back again this time. Okay. All right. So we were just covering the last of it of the four uh, qualities of the Eightfold Noble Path that are skills to be developed. Mm. And then with we use those four skills together, we develop the skill of getting ourselves into a really nice state. It has safety, security, comfort, uh, satisfaction, and then eventually the right uh, attitude brings on the, the feeling of success. Mm. You know, I could do this. Yeah. But we get that feeling of success of I can do this. That gives us then that state of mind that we want to get into and maintain it. This state of mind is called the first jhana. And that first jhana means that now the mind is really fit for work because the kind of feelings that we have are all good feelings. Mm -hmm. And the reason that the feelings are good is because we have only wholesome thoughts in the mind. And with those wholesome thoughts, we feel really good. We feel powerful. We feel strong. We feel confident. Mm -hmm. We feel pleasant, we feel secure and safe. And so this kind of mentality or this state of being then is something now we have to be on guard once we're in it, to be on guard to make sure that the hindrances don't come back or the unwholesome thoughts don't come back to pull us out of this. Yeah. So we can work on gladdening the mind, we can get, or we can wake up, we can work on gladdening the mind and through gladdening the mind we can learn how to get into that a, a wholesome state and we mm -hmm. can then learn to maintain and maintain that wholesome state and i guess like you're saying that that's the you know when all the puzzle pieces are in place that's like first jhana 
Right, that's first jhana. And if you can get yourself into that state and maintain the state, then the only thing that we have to look at is what are we going to do in that state? And the answer to that is, since you're already in a wholesome state, the only thing to note now are wholesome things. Mm. So okay. if, I, if I'm not good, well, I don't want to like say that I'm not good or can't do these things, but so is it okay to like work on the, these like wholesome, being in like a wholesome state like kind of incrementally or like kind of like working on kind of weeding the garden like weeding these unwholesome thoughts out and like building this wholesome state like rather than going for like instantaneously like wholesome state or does it need to be like that one big effort to be in that wholesome like first on a well uh i wouldn't first off you're using the word work um and I and it would yeah, be you're right. perhaps easier for you to think of the word as play that we're actually looking at going back to an infantile state of mind mm -hmm. where everything is okay, everything is nurtured, and everything is a game. Mm -hmm. There is no work to do. You don't yeah. put a two-year-old to work, mm -hmm. right? We let the two-year-old play. Yeah, it's the two-year-old stuff. Yeah. Okay. So we, we just we play. We're not working. It's not like a job or anything, because that would be not a good mindset. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we. Okay. Now that we know that we're playing with it, your question becomes irrelevant because your question was, "Do I work hard or not? Do I work really hard, or do I work? Uh, in other words, do I work?" hard for a short period of time, or do I work easy for a long period of time? The answer to that is you don't work at all. You just play. Mm. Yeah, well, okay. Play with the mind. It's yours. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a toy to play with. And here you've been pounding it all of this time, trying to force it to do stuff when in fact it's just a, an easy toy to play with. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. When we say it's a toy to play with, that's nurturing. When we say it's work to do, that's critical. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I just have, I have a lot of excuses I want to ramble off, but it wouldn't do any good. I mean, I get, I get what you're saying. It's just like a playful, playful thing we're doing. There's no like right or wrong way, like, I'm not, I shouldn't be sitting there thinking like, oh, I'm doing it wrong. Like, no, like I have to, I should be feeling these certain things in this order. It is that's a playful experience that I should enjoy. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the attitude I need to have. Right. Critical mind you want something out of it instead of saying, hey man, I'm not trying to get anything out of it. Yeah. I'm yeah. just enjoying my life right now. I don't have to get any success. I'm not looking for enlightenment. I'm too happy and successful and sat and satisfied to want even enlightenment. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think I was like, yeah, I was like kind of looking for that permission to kind of like, you know, just have fun with it as opposed to just being like mad at myself for not being able to like get it instantaneously mm -hmm. or like, but yeah, you're right. It's not, it's not like that. It's, yeah, it's a playful process. All right, well, let's finish this off now. And uh, um, we'll talk to you later. It's been a yeah. while. Don't, yeah. don't take so long to call because this is just, you know, needs to be repeated over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thank you very much. I will talk to you later.
All right, Clinton. Thank you. It's been enjoyable. I really enjoyed our call.